if you don't mind a tingling spine or a lump in your throat, if you kind of get a thrill feeling the hair stand up on the back of your neck, or you just can't get enough of the eerie, turn down the lights, snuggle up with a blanket, and keep your feet tucked up safe because we've got a story for you. It happened to a friend of a friend. Cheers. Cheers. Clinky clink. I got fancy champagne from Megalomaniac Winery. It's very, very good. Is it? Like, I will buy this again. Ooh, that's delightful. It's very delightful. I like this. It's Riesling-ish. I'm enjoying this. I didn't look at it, but... The bubbles are going to go right to my brain. Ooh, I love it. Let's do it. Have some more. I will have more because I like this. I have a really funny story for you that I saved for this. I gave myself an eye infection last week. Doing what? (laughs) Doing what? So we recorded on the Friday. Yeah. And the Saturday went to go visit my mom, put in my contacts, blah, blah, blah. All was fine. Came home. My eyes were dry, so I went to go take them out. Only one came out. Yeah. I couldn't find the other one, so I started, like, poking around and digging up in there and couldn't find it. it. stuck? Well, that's what I thought it was stuck because I thought I could see it kind of in the corner. But Kevin looked, and he's like, I don't know what you're seeing. There's nothing there. So then bedtime rolled around, and I went to go look again because I'm like, I can't go to bed with a contact in. Like, you're not supposed to. But I couldn't find it. Again, I dug around, and my eye was getting redder. So then I went to bed. I'm like, well, I guess I'm sleeping with a contact in if it's in there. So I went to bed, and then I woke up in the morning, and my eye looked like I'd gotten stung by a bee. Ew. It was so swollen and red. And Kevin was like, that's probably because you were poking at it. Like, you had your finger in there. Yeah, yeah. So he had to take Nick to a lacrosse tournament. I stayed home. Um, I said, if if the swelling doesn't go down, I'm just going to go to Emerge because there's no eye doctors on Sundays. Like, this was a Sunday. So around 10 o'clock, swelling hadn't gone down. I'm like, okay, I need to go to Emerge. So one of my friends dropped something off. And she's like, well, I'll just take you. Like, don't wait for Kevin. Like, I'll take you. So she dropped me off. It was only like an hour and a half that I had to wait. Really? Yeah. It was like I packed a bag of funtivities. Like a book. Because you, you're like, I'm settling in. Well, because I knew I wasn't going to be priority because I could see. Yeah. So like it wasn't Emerge. Yeah. Just I needed someone to look at my eye. So I waited, got called in. The doctor looked at it. He's like, I don't see anything. So he got one of those big, like, swab things Mm -hmm. and, like, swabbed up under my eyelid and, like, down in the under eyelid. He's like, there's nothing there. So then he put some eye drops in my eye and he looked with the microscope and he's like, I don't see anything. He's like, but you have an eye infection. He's like, it's probably because you stuck your eye, your finger in there. I'm like, it's not pink eye, is it? He's like, no, it's not pink eye. It's an eye infection. So he gave me antibiotics. Yeah. So I walked home because Kevin was still at the lacrosse tournament. And it's only like a half hour walk because yeah. it's Niagara Falls. So I walked home, but I kept my head down the whole time because I didn't know what the situation was. Like I didn't look before I left. I yeah. just walked home. So I got home and Ke- Lucas was sitting on the couch. So I walked in the door and he's like, oh my God, what happened to your eye? Like, well, I went to the Emerge and they did a swab of it. So probably like really red and puffy. He's like, oh my goodness. So I went up to the bathroom to assess the damage. And one of the eye drops he put in was like an orangey yellow, and it had like dripped all oh. down the <laughs> side of my face. I'm glad you were with that. That's fun. I was like, "Oh my god!" I walked home like this. <laughs> no, that's bad. <laughs> so I had to wear my glasses for the whole week, mm-hmm. and we don't know what happened to that contact. I have no idea. I don't know if it just fell out, and I thought it was in there, so I poked around a lot for no reason. Did you check your container to see if you even put it in? Well, they're dailies. I don't, I don't know how bad your. They're dailies, so I don't put them in containers. I change. Are you them sure every you day. put one in? Yeah. 
because the oh. number that I have, I'm missing, like, it doesn't match up. Oh, weird. Yeah. I'm so glad those days are behind me. Yeah. Or sorry, it should match up. But one of the things that I read online said if you have a lost contact, you can try putting another contact in. And sometimes that, so that's what I did. I put another contact in. So now I have one oh. less of that eye okay. where I, if I didn't put, it should kind of be yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? Got you. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Weird. So, yeah, I gave myself an eye infection. It was great. <laughs> it looks fine now. Oh, yeah, it's It's fine. like a week later, but two it's weeks later. It's fine now. Like, I just started wearing my glasses again on Monday this past week. Wow. Yeah. Yuck. So that's my story. Eye infection city over here. Oh, gross. It was not pink eye. Okay. Nobody, nobody farted in my face. That's how you get pink that eye. That you know of. Well, if anyone did, Nicholas did it. Because he probably farted on my pillow. Yeah. Kids, <laughs> little shit faces. Literally, shit in the face. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what's your story? Okay, well, there was two things. So we had uh, Spencer's third birthday party, and it that's was right. Minnie Mouse themed. Oh, how'd that go? It was very cute. It was just very, like, very small, like immediate family, some friends that have kids our age, some stuff like that. And so it was really small, really fun, fine. I hate birthday parties. <laughs> I don't love throwing them. Like I don't love hosting because the host doesn't – I didn't even see her open her presents. Like mm-hmm. I didn't spend time with her at all on her birthday, right? Aww. Like because you're just doing the – you're doing everything for it. And then people come and you're trying to spend time with everybody. And mm-hmm. we do close family and friends. So – it's everybody we love, and then not that we don't love you. Oh, it's okay. Because you, your kids aren't really in the age group. It's okay. I don't want to come to a child's birthday party. Um, <laughs> no, you don't. So thank you. You did me a favor, really. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, but so, like, you don't really get to enjoy it, mm-hmm. I don't find. Um, but it was okay. It was good. That's good. Drink. We ran out of pizza. Like, the party we did before, six pizzas – there were six pizzas. It was way too much. We ended up with like four pizzas and it was more people. Mm-hmm. I mean, but more adults. And then this party, we had three pizzas because I was like, we have lots of snacks. We'll do it on the safe side. And we ran out of, and we didn't have enough pizza. Oh. Are you worried about the lines because they're so small? No, I think it'll be fine. Okay. I think you're fine. No, but my story is that Mike uh, and I snuggle buggled in to watch Sweeney Todd last night. <gasps> Aww. And um, so this is like a two-parter story because... What'd you watch it on? Uh, Paramount has it. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, know. I don't have Paramount. I know. Right. I had to I think I did it order one point Paramount. and I canceled it. It's got some good shit on it. So I keep like popping in and then... Yeah. Yeah. So I'm subscribed for a month. So we're watching Sweeney Todd. Very exciting. And like he's watched it before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's been – he had strep throat, so he's like, hasn't been eating very much. And at the very beginning, he saw the meat pies, and he's like, oh, those look so good. And I was like, you know the story of Sweetie Todd, right? Like, you know those are made with people. Yeah. And he was like, I'm so hungry, Meg. I just wasn't thinking. Speaking of Sweetie Todd, Kamal, friend of the pod, she is going to New York this weekend. Oh, is she going to go see the Broadway That's one? That's what I told her to go see it. And I said, if you go see it, I'm super jealous. I said, but you should go see it. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. It's like, it just, it won a Tony, didn't it? I don't think the Tonys have oh. been out yet. But it's nominated. Nominated, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that shit. But yeah, I would go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, Still kicking myself over not seeing Hamilton original cast when I was in NYC and was going to. Um, Nobody cares. 
everybody cares. That's a big, that was a big miss. I would care, actually, yes. Yeah, you would right. care very much if you were there and was like, I don't know what this is, so no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the other side of that story was that I painted our rec room downstairs that we, like, completely gutted and, and drywalled and stuff. And um, he was doing the ceiling, and I heard some, I was like, what the, what is he listening to? Because he usually listens to music. And I was like, sounds like he's listening to some bitches. And it was us. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to find, he was trying to listen to the Sweeney Todd one. Was it was us. But I was like, what bitches are he, is he listening to down there? And like, I was getting closer and closer. And I was like, that's me. That's Sarah. Why is he listening to this? Did he at least enjoy the episode? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He, cause he has listened before and he's like, it's actually pretty good. I like it. Man. Okay. And I was like, I just don't know how you listen to my voice and then listen like all day long and then listen to it again. It's crazy to me. But it's different. Well, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. And this is... It happened to a friend of a friend. I love throwing you off. I know. I just... I did that thing where I always want to say, who wants to be a millionaire? Just, I know. You say that every time. And, and you every don't ever time do it. I catch myself wanting to do it. This Boom. was a long little intro story we had. Yeah, sorry. Because I talked about my eye infection. Yeah. That was, a, that was a big one. Yeah. We had a lot to say. It was It was a big deal for me. Who's first? Are you first? I think I'm first, yeah. I think you're first. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you go. Okay, so um, I am doing a survivor story. Okay. Kind we, of. We didn't do the same one. That's good. There's one survivor. It's not funny at all. I'm sorry. Well, none um, of the stories are funny. I always feel kind of bad doing, like, the survivor story in a sense because like, you almost want to ask the permission of the survivor to tell the story, but can't really do that. Um, and then I think it's always interesting, like, we were talking about this today and I was like um you know like I listened to them because the reason most of us listen to them is because like we need all the details to know how to survive something in our subconscious we're just trying to survive Mm -hmm. so you know maybe this story will teach people how to survive okay if anything good comes from telling it okay go okay so we are at and of course I can't read my handwriting we only have till 8.35 but it looks like Coeur d'Alene Idaho and it was May 15th, 2005. Eight-year-old Shasta Grown thought she saw someone hiding in her closet in her bedroom. Like okay. children do, mm-hmm. right? Um, she told her brother and he like was like, it's fine. There's nobody there. Go back to bed. So she went back to bed. But she was awoken by her mom in the middle of the night in tears saying she had to wake up because there was a man in the house. Okay. Um, in so we don't know if the man was actually in the living room or if it, like in the closet or if it was a child's sort of situation. In the living room, her stepfather and older brother were face down, tied in zip ties, and um, her nine-year-old brother Dylan and her were taken and put in the backyard. But this was after this man had beaten her mother Brenda forty. Her stepfather, Mark, 37, and older stepbrother, Slade, 13, with a hammer. Oh. She did not see it, but she heard it happening. Uh, He took them outside. He placed them under a tree. And Slade, actually the 13-year-old, survived and pulls himself outside, um, makes his way to the picnic table where the perpetrator um, catches up to him and beats him to death. Um, He puts the two young kids in the in the car, which was actually a stolen Jeep, and tells them what he's done, that he had killed their family. 
and he takes them to a camp out in the middle of nowhere. Meanwhile, the following morning, a family friend goes to the house to pay for a lawn mowing. So it never made it clear which one, I'm assuming it was Slade, the 13 year old, um, was to be paid for mowing the neighbor's lawn. When he got there, he saw, he found blood and then the family dead. Slade had actually survived the second beating and crawled in to die with his family. And he was um, laying next to Brenda, which is very sad. Um, They thought it might be a personal attack due to the violence and the brutality um, of the beatings. They looked right away at the biological father of the two kids uh, because they were missing Shasta and Dylan. And... um, I think it's Shasta, but I like to say Shasta. I don't know why. Um, so we'll try to do better. <laughs> do better. Do better. Um, they So they looked at the biological father who completely was, like, willing to be helpful. Um, he gave a lie detector test, and he was very quickly ruled out. Uh, but they released an amber alert for the children. Do you trust lie detector tests? I don't know because if you remember in my last one, the guy took the lie detector test and it was given by like a jewelry person Mm -hmm. and like they're like, there's no basis for this. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. But if it was given like a lie detector like properly under proper conditions, do you trust them? Yes and no. Like uh, I can't lie. Like I'm really shitty. I would – I couldn't pass a lie detector test no matter what. So if you gave it to me, then it's going to be accurate. Mm -hmm. But I think – there are people who have less feelings and intensities. Like a narcissist might be able to get away with it a little bit more if he's not feeling a thrill or something when he's mm-hmm. doing it. I don't know. I don't necessarily. What about you? I don't necessarily trust them because so many things can alter the thing. Like if, even if you're just nervous of the fact that you're taking a lie detector test, that can hinder the results. Without going on a tangent, watching Making a Murderer, whether mm-hmm. whether the guy is guilty or not, the amount of the what the police did to fuck with mm-hmm. things, like I feel like a lot of things could be doctored very easily. Yes. Anyway, so sorry. anyways, that's Carry a on. that's a situation. Um, I definitely w- could get away with murder. I would tell, I would blab as soon as <laughs> I'd be like, I did it. Um, I'm too empathetic. Anyways, they released an amber amber alert. Meanwhile, the children were held um, in a cabin. And right away, this man got to um, sexually abusing them and violently abusing them as well. He was mainly focusing on Dylan um, with extra brutality. And he, whoever he was abusing, he made the other sibling watch. Mm-hmm. The abductor would also use psychological abuse and suggested if they complied, they would be able to go home to like their living father and relatives He even had them write letters pretending he was sending them, which he obviously never did. He spent almost two months abusing them, um, even videotaping it. He did this at two different sites reportedly. So back at home, police find out that the family had had a barbecue the day before the murder. And one of the attendees had left a fingerprint and was a person of interest. Um, They left a fingerprint because they were at a barbecue. So, you know, they would. Mm -hmm. But this person was on parole. Um, He had served time for a previous crime. Not getting into details. His name was Robert Lettner. um, And he had left town shortly after the murder. So they were like, this guy seems super guilty. Mm -hmm. But 
when he called to check in with his parole officer, which he wasn't, he didn't leave in a way where he wasn't supposed to. Mm -hmm. He called to check in. The parole officer said, hey, they're looking for you in coordinates with this. And he showed up immediately. Um, he took a lie detector to, a uh, lie detector test, test too. <laughs> detector, <laughs> you just take it out. He, there, there's, hate there's it, a lot whatever. of T's in there. And, uh, passed, and he also, they had no reason to believe he did it in the end. Uh, he did owe the father money. He owed, or the stepfather money. He owed Mark money. So that was the main reason for them suspecting it. And he was a felon, but they ruled him out quickly too. Um, so Shasta, Shasta tries to manipulate the man. So she quickly sees that he kind of has a soft spot for her. And so she decides that she's going to do whatever she can to survive. Um, he would try to get them drunk. Um, so this is after he's had them for a little bit. He would try to get them drunk and drug them um, to just make them a little more loose. And then he would tell them like horrible stories about things he had done in the past. And she actually pretended to drink, but was like listening the whole time and clocking everything he was saying. Um, so she was a very, very smart girl, obviously. Um, since he had a soft spot for her, she started to engage with him. Basically, she gave him, he had told her about a nickname that he had, and she started to use his nickname. She would often ask him questions about himself and showing, quote, I'm putting in quotes, voluntary affection. So I didn't read this anywhere, but like showing him affection on purpose. Okay. So, um, and I don't mean like abuse, just like, you know, hugging him or holding his hand. Right, or right. Like that. Um, about a month in, he promises them that they can go home if they catch a pesky squirrel that's been like hanging around their camp. When Dylan does, they're super excited. So they're like cheering. It actually seemed like they were kind of packing up to go somewhere. And then out of nowhere, Shasta hears a, like a bang and realizes that Dylan's been shot in the stomach. Oh, um, then the man walks over and shoots him a second time in the head. Okay. He claimed that the gun, which was a sawed off shotgun, went off where he was looking for a beer. So he was like in a container looking for a beer. The gun was in there. It went through it and shot the boy. And that the second shot was a mercy killing. Okay. So this is what he told Shasta. And she, um... There's no reason to really, like, think it could have happened either way unless he just didn't want her to, like, he was manipulating her again and he did shoot him on purpose, probably so they could be alone. Um, when this happens, Shasta's broken. She says that she basically, because she's going to survive, she says that she stayed silent. I wrote for a day, but I meant days, <laughs> for several days. Um, so then that's when they switched, uh, they moved to their campsites. She was chained up in a tent, and she actually said she saw lots of people walking by. It was in a more populated area, and she couldn't do anything because she was afraid he would kill her and them if she didn't, if she made any, um, like, called out or anything. And then he says, at some point, he says, it's time. Does she want to be shot like her brother? Oh. Fast or strangled, which will be slow. Um, she chooses strangled. She was hoping that he wouldn't be able to go through with it because basically it's, if he does it fast, it's just a split decision. But if it's strangled, then she can, you know, try to like, hopefully he wouldn't be able to go through with it. Mm -hmm. um, at, she said at some one point she nearly gave up um, because she had lost almost everything anyways. Um, but just thinking of her family made her stronger. And when she was able to get some air and say something, 
um, she used his nickname and asked him to stop um, what he's doing. He lets go and starts to cry. Um, he's going to let her live for a little bit longer. Um, that's when, so then things kind of shift a little bit after this. And when he starts like saying like, oh, if you're good, like I will send you home, blah, blah, blah. But she starts saying like, she doesn't want to go home any longer. Like she wants to stay with him. Mm-hmm. Um, she, um, like she just starts to like show that she's really like, he's her choice. Um, eventually he asks if she can be his daughter and she agrees. She starts to call him dad. Um, he says that she's he's going to take her to meet his mom. And she basically says like, okay, well, I would really love for you to get to know me. Um, she knows she has a better chance of being spotted in her hometown. So she says that she's eight, by the way. So she says like she wants to show him all of the places, like all of her favorite places and where she grew up and her school and stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, okay, if you're going to be my daughter, I want to know you. And he takes mm-hmm. her back to her hometown. So they go to a convenience store and a clerk actually flags how the girl is acting with the man. Like you can tell like this is a strange, weird it's relationship. Odd. It's odd. Um, Something so, doesn't add up. Yeah. So they pull the videotape and they call the police. And um, so the police have like finally get a tip and have some information, but they've obviously gone. Um so then he asks her if she's hungry and she's like, yeah, of course. And he's like, do you want to go somewhere to eat? And she was like, yes. Um, no, not, yeah, of course I'm hungry. <laughs> um, because she wanted, she knows she wants to go and be seen by people. She's mm-hmm. just hoping that something's going to happen, like someone's going to recognize her or something, right? So he takes her to a Denny's and she's on the way in, she sees her own missing persons poster <gasps> at the Denny's. And a guy makes eye contact with her. And basically, like, nods. And she nods back. Oh, this sounds familiar. I feel like I heard this. This part sounds familiar. Okay. Um, So he casually went in. Like, they went in. And then the guy, you know, went went back in. And he casually, like, goes over to the counter and starts talking to the lady behind the counter. Like, no big deal. And then, basically, um, Amber Dean, who was the um, waitress at the time, Tells her supervisor, like, I think this is the shot that Shasta girl, and I think we should call the police. So they do, and they go out and act really normal with them. Um, they can see that like she won't do anything without him prompting. Like they ask what she wants, and he like, Let's go ahead and tell the lady. Um, and they're really calm about it. But meanwhile, they're waiting for the police and they're wrapping up and getting ready to go. So she's the waitress is like, Oh, I'm just having a hard time printing the bill. And they get to leave, and the police arrive like right on time. Okay. So um, the whole time Shasta was like, she's Shasta knew that they knew who she was, but she was worried that he was going to have some sort of story that would get them out of it. So she was nervous the whole time. But the police asked who she was and she told them who she was and that this man was the one who was killed her family. Um, he, they arrested him. He was 42-year-old Joseph Duncan. In 2004, he had been charged with molestation um, and was currently a fugitive. So molestation of a young man. Um, he had started, uh, committing sexual abuses at age 15. So very young, um, in the stolen car, they found the shotgun and they found videotapes of what he had been doing, which uh, were played later in court. Shasta tells the, um, tells them everything. He, um, apparently he had spotted the kids. Like he's always has an eye out and then he stalked them for a few days. Um, mm-hmm. he staked out the house. He, they had a dog, which was a pit bull, and he bribed the pit bull with food, um, broke in, had planned everything. 
Um, he did end up pleading guilty later on, uh, and he was culpable in the death also of Anthony Martinez, who was 10 years old, and he was discarded in California. And it was he was actually flagged by a blogger after the oh. story was out um, who had, like, made some connections, and they looked into it, and it turns out it was him. Crazy, right? So, so what crazy. People in media does is important, mm-hmm. not what we do. Shasta <laughs> told, um, also told about the campfires where he would get them, quote, drunk and talk about things he had done. He had mentioned a nine and an 11-year-old um, who were stepsisters, Sammy Joe White and Cameron Kubias, um, who he killed in Bothwell, Washington. He did not, um, oh, he did later on confess to those murders, but he did not, he was not charged in those because he had enough to be put away for a long time, or, and he was sentenced to the death penalty. Um, however, he didn't make it to the end of his sentence because he died in March 2021 of cancer. Oh. Shesta said she was really relieved that he was gone. Like mm-hmm. that threat really looms. I don't know how. For I, sure. I honestly don't know how I feel about the death penalty for people who, you know, have been this horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it gives closure to their victims, then that does count for something, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I can't really, not something I've really thought too in depth about um, in these circumstances. Right. Um, Shasta has spoken out about her case. Um, she has had up and downs for, she had drug problems on and off for a long time. She's consistently um, like seeking therapy, et cetera. Um, she, um, she did have a charge at one point for exposing minors, her children to drugs. Okay. Um, but she, that's well in the past. Last um, knowledge we have, she has five kids and is married, has been married to their father for, um, or to the father of some of them, mm-hmm. to a man for uh, a really long time and is happy and has her shit together. Oh, that's good. Yeah, as much as you can have your shit together when you're right. your family has been murdered. But yeah. Wow. And that's uh, quite a story. That's crazy. That's She's, it. She survived those. That's good. She survived. I don't know how much she's thrived or thriving, but she has shared her story to help other people. And but that's yeah. good. That's an important. She thing. also got him caught. Like she mm-hmm. was because of her intelligence, she could have just been killed, and he could have kept doing it for a really long time. And because she was so smart and played the game she did, she is why he was caught. I hope she good. finds solace in that. Well, we have twenty-four minutes. Okay, we got this. So I'm going to be quick. Okay. So sources, history.com, Wikipedia, Britannica.com, TheAtlantic.com, and a YouTube video that I watched. Ooh, yeah. Okay, it's June. Sandals are out, shorts are on, and it's starting to get too hot some days I can't sleep. I run Except for today where we're wearing sweaters. I'm wearing sweaters, but now the booze is making me warm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, warm temps and people starting to leave earlier and earlier from work. Everyone but me. Continue. Sometimes I do. June also brings about Pride Month in many countries around the world. But why June? Why did this month get recognized as the one we shine a light on gay rights and gay culture? Well, because in the early hours of June 28, 1969, a gay club in Greenwich Village, New York was raided. What is the name of this club, you ask? It was the Stonewall Inn. Now, many people credit Stonewall with the place where the gay rights movement began, but that's not really, that's not necessarily true. Here's a quick history lesson on other gay rights movements because there are other moments before Stonewall. 
So Magnus Hirschfeld was a German physician born in 1868 and was actively involved in scientific study of sexuality, in particular homosexuality. He was an advocate for sexual minorities and maintained that sexual orientation was innate and not a choice. He is credited with coining the term transvestite and was one of the founders of the Scientific Humanitarian Committee, the first LGBTQ rights organization in history. The committee campaigned for social recognition of LGBTQ rights and against their persecution. At its peak, the group had 700 members and had branches in approximately 25 cities in Germany, Austria, and the Netherlands. Mm. The committee created sex education pamphlets, assisted defendants in criminal trials, and called for repeal on paragraph 175, which punished, uh, which punished sexual attraction to men. The committee eventually disbanded when Hitler came into power and World War II started. A man who was inspired by Hirschfeld. That was quite progressive, by the I way. I know. Okay. In the, the 1860s. Not, not the war shit. Not the war. No, the committee. Um, a man who was inspired by Hirschfeld was Henry Gerber. Henry was born in 1892 in Paso, Bavaria, and emigrated to the U.S. in 1913. He settled in Chicago, was briefly committed to a mental institution because of its homosexuality, and joined the army during World War I. While in Germany, he learned about the work Hirschfeld was doing and became inspired. When he returned to the States, he began creating a similar group. He called it the Society for Human Rights. He filed an application for a charter as a not-for-profit, and this was granted in 1924. This makes the group the oldest documented homosexual organization in the nation. Hmm. Gerber also created the first known American gay interest publication called Friendship and Freedom. Unfortunately, the group and publication only lasted about a year when it was shut down by the courts. Next, we have the formation of the first lesbian civil and political rights organization in the U.S. The Daughters of Belitis was founded in San Francisco in 1955 by Del Martin and Phyllis Leone. What is Belitis? Um, I looked it up, but I forget. So you're going to just have to look it up. Okay. You can look it up now and then jump All in right. if you want. In a nutshell, the group was formed as a way for other lesbians to come together and socialize, learn, and dance. Yes, dance. Um, there was also the Mattachine Society, which was an organization in 1966 dedicated to gay rights. They would have sip-ins where they openly declared their sexuality in bars and dared staff to turn them away. It's a film from 1977. Okay. About first love. Well, that can't be a thing. An erotic poetry. <laughs> because this was before 1977. Yeah. So, so I don't know. There's no, there's nothing else okay. on it. So there you go. One of my super brief history corners on LGBTQ organizations prior to Stonewall. So back to where we started. I did learn something. Okay. So back to where we started. The Stonewall Inn. Now, the Stonewall wasn't the only gay bar in the area. According to my research. Did you ever watch Magic School Bus? Yeah. Oh, that was on the lines. According to my research. Yeah, yeah, I got you. There was one called the Cherry Lane. Another one was called the Tenth of Always. And there was one called Cookies. Stonewall wasn't even a super fancy establishment. As with many gay bars of the time, it was run by the mafia. Costs were cut wherever possible, such as having no fire exit, no running water behind the bar to wash glasses. There were no clean toilets and the drinks were watered down. It also did not have a liquor license but instead registered as a private bottle bar. 
This meant people were to bring their own alcohol and sign a book upon entry to maintain the fake exclusivity. People would usually just use fake names, though. Sounds great. Yeah. Stonewall did, however, welcome drag queens who weren't as well-received at other bars. Now sounds better. It had a super large space. It was inexpensive for runaways and gay youth, and it was one of the few gay bars that allowed dancing. The crime family that owned many of the gay bars in Greenwich Village were known to pay off police to ignore what was happening behind the doors, or at least tip off the establishment when a raid was going to happen so patrons could be ready and things would go smoothly. When raids... Yes? What was the benefit for them? Um, I think just because the bars would keep running and... Like, did they make money? Well, I think they made money off the bars because they cut costs, so I don't know. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. I can only write so much. I know. I just Now I'm I sorry. just want to know. Sorry. sorry. Okay. Um, when raid did happen, the lights would be turned on before police arrived. Patrons would line up, show ID, and that would be it. They kind of had to prove that, and they would have to prove that they were the gender that they were. So if there was, like, a woman, like a lesbian in the bar, they yeah. would be taken to the bathroom to make sure they were a woman dressed oh, as a lovely. woman kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe the crime bosses were gay. I'm not making allegations. Don't shoot me in the face. Who knows? Okay. They occurred early in the evening, so not to disrupt the rest of the prime club time. The Stonewall was actually raided just a few days before without incident. However, this was not the case on June 28, 1969. On this particular night, two undercover policemen and two undercover policemen, policemen and police women, I don't remember which one I said first, entered the bar to collect evidence. Employees were not tipped off as per the custom, so when the officers announced their presence, everyone was shocked and caught off guard. Which, I get people aren't supposed to be expecting these, but when the standard is to be tipped off and prepared, it's shocking. Yeah. <clears throat> Patrons were arrested, liquor was seized, and violence erupted. There are varying reasons why this particular raid escalated compared to others. Some say it was because the community was fed up with the harassment and did not want to give up their bar. Others say the uprising was initiated when an officer assaulted a lesbian patron and she shouted to the crowd to fight back and do something. <coughs> this supposed person has never come forward, but some accounts credit this person with being Storme Delaveri who worked as a bouncer. She has sometimes taken credit and sometimes denied it, but there has been no actual proof. There are also accounts that gay rights activists Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera started everything, but they have said they did not arrive at Stonewall until after the raids had happened. In the end, I think the consensus is that everything came down to people being fed up and wanting to reclaim something that was taken from them. With all the chaos happening, 10 police officers barricaded themselves within the Stonewall Inn, along with several handcuffed detainees. People outside, <coughs> people outside threw whatever they could find around them on the streets. Rocks, bottles, coins, and bricks. Although the brick story is also contested because there were no really bricks, any bricks laying around that people could remember. One of the videos I watched was with people who were at Stonewall, mm -hmm. and they were saying, like, there was no brick, so I don't know where this brick... Yeah, where the brick thing came from. One of the funnest facts I found, why? Because fun, fun facts, facts are fun, bing! Was that amongst the chaos, numerous kick lines started with the chant, we are the Stonewall girls, we wear our hair in curls, we don't wear underwear to show our pubic hair. <laughs> and that was also said in the video of the people that were there, and they said there were many kick lines. Oh. Yeah. 
Um, the streets eventually wow. cleared around 4 a.m. While no one was killed during all the events, 13 people were arrested. Some were hospitalized and many others were injured. Over the next six days, people came to the Stonewall Inn in solidarity, in solidarity to continue the message of freedom. The LGBTQ community did not want to give up quietly. While there were gay liberation movements before Stonewall, for some reason, this event stuck in the memory of basically the public, mm -hmm. like uh, in other countries and in New York, in the LGBTQ community. Um, a year after the happenings at Stonewall, an assembly occurred at Christopher Street, which was like a park kind of right by the bar where a lot of gay youth would hang out and stuff. Okay. Uh, to mark the day. Along with other marches in LA, San Francisco, and Chicago, the first gay pride march had happened in US history. Within two years of the Stonewall riots, there were gay rights groups in every major American city, as well as Canada, Australia, and Western Europe. Many large cities around the world now have pride celebrations in the month of June. In 2013, Barack, Oba Barack Obama referenced the Stonewall riots in his second inaugural address. This was, a, this was an historical moment because it was also the first time a president mentioned gay rights or even the word gay in an inaugural address. Um, and if you live in Toronto, in the Toronto-ish area, the Toronto Pride Parade is June 25th of this year, 2023, at 2 p.m. Just throwing that out there. Uh, yeah, does anyone's here go. And now, okay, and now a quick pride flag fun fact, because fun facts are fun. Bing. Bing. What do the colors mean? The OG flag, created in 1978 by Gilbert Baker, had eight stripes. Pink was for sexuality, red was healing, yellow was the sun, green was serenity with nature, turquoise was art, indigo was harmony, violet was spirit. The flag now has six colors. Uh, pink was, I guess, a hard fabric to find, mm -hmm. like when it was first created. So they got rid of pink and the turquoise and indigo became royal blue. Okay. So that is the Stonewall riots and sort of... That was nice. I'm glad you didn't do like a horrible I there, story because there are lots. There's lots and I can't... There's one in particular and I, I don't think I can make it through it without crying. So I don't want to do it. Good. I'm yeah. glad you did this So one. I did this good. one because it's Pride Month and I was going to maybe wait until our next one that we did, but I wasn't sure when we were going to record next. So I didn't want to wait. Well, good for you. Yeah. It's very exciting. So happy Pride to everybody. Love is love. We love you. We're proud. Yes. So what's your throwback? Um, My throwback is Beetlejuice. <gasps> I love that movie. I don't know if I did it again, but when they just when they this, they announced the sequel, like fully really happening. There's mm -hmm. a sequel, guys. If you don't know, oh my god! Like six people messaged me the same day because <laughs> people from their childhood uh -huh. remember how much I loved Beetlejuice and forced them to watch it and it's live a good it. Movie. Michael Keaton was my first crush. And yeah, as Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton was my first crush. I was in love with Beetlejuice as a child. Like I thought I was gonna grow up and marry Beetlejuice. Love it. That's really hot. I don't know what was wrong with me, but that's my throwback. That's fun. I heard it. It's one of my favorites. That's fun. Yeah. Mine is, I didn't have it until I was out earlier. So we were at Kevin's sister's house mm -hmm. for her son's birthday and Nick was sitting on her couch. Yeah. And just the way he got up at one point he was in the George Costanza pose where he was oh. like on the couch. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God, stay right there just like that. And I took a picture of him. Do you him. have a picture? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I want to see it. I'll show it to you. So my throwback is the episode of Seinfeld where George Costanza tries to flirt with the photo lab girl and takes the sexy photos. Mm-hmm. And he sits on the couch. Oh, that's so funny. I know. That wasn't on purpose? No. Well, that was with him looking over his shoulder. Yeah. But at first, he just got up and did that. Who's this ghost in the background? Oh, I don't know. There's a ghost in the background. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I have to look at it now. We're just flipping through pictures. Sorry. Um. Wow. So, yeah. So that's my, a good, that's that's a good my throwback. throwback. My assistant manager, when she used to work for me years ago, that used to be on her phone case all the time. Yeah. And I was just thought it was the funniest thing. That's funny. And now she works. She's my assistant because she's awesome. Uh-huh. Shout out, Amester. Boo! She thinks I'm in love with her. I am. Why she's are you great. so obsessed with me? She's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm obsessed with you. It helps so. when you have a work. Aww. Aww. That's so nice. <laughs> love it. Well, anyway, we're not superstitious. We're a bit stitious. We're a little stitious. I know. I'm just trying to fuck you up. (gasps) You're really messing you up sometimes. Okay, bye. Bye.